Welcome to Pharmacy View, technology and pharmacy business podcast series, where we provide regular interviews with pharmacists and key industry people within the Australian pharmacy and associated industry. In each podcast, we look to discuss aspects of pharmacy operation and how technology is improving or interacting with each guest's current role or pharmacy-related business. I'm your host, Scott Carpenter, and today's guest is sponsored by Shopfront Solutions, leading the way in digital marketing and communications providing a cloud-based platform for pharmacies to manage all of their digital messaging and print-based collateral. For more information on the Shopfront Solutions digital platform, simply go to the website at shopfrontsolutions.com.au. My guest today is Jeff Vassell, Global Business Development Manager for Geotech Information Services. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Scott. It's great to be here. Uh, it's certainly my pleasure. Now, you and I had the opportunity recently to meet at APP up on the Gold Coast, but for the listeners today who may not know you, who is Jeff Vassell? Thanks for that. Yeah, I was born in Toronto, Canada. I moved to Australia in the early 1990s, originally just to work for six months, see a bit of the country and, and go back home. At least that's what I told my parents when I left. But I ended up by meeting my future wife and all those plans were basically thrown out the window. And I went back home and then told them that I was moving back to Australia and getting married. So that was uh, my uh, so foray into, into coming to Australia in the first place. So yeah, I'm married. I've got two boys. I've also got a diverse background, I guess you'd say. When I landed here in Australia, I didn't have a job. And for some reason, I decided to buy a milk bar, which was a very good, I guess, grounding for me business-wise, because for those listeners that have never shopped or owned a milk bar, you really get an opportunity to sort of learn the business from the ground up. You're doing buying, you're organizing staffing, you're stocking shelves, you're doing some local marketing with the customers that come in uh, to the milk bar. So that was a terrific grounding for me in business. I learned a lot, learned how to read a spreadsheet, learned about a P&L. So I, I did that for two and a half years, but it was incredibly taxing. It's seven days a week, basically 16 hour days. So I did that for two and a half years and then decided I wanted to get out of it. So I sold it. And then shortly thereafter, I met a, a fellow who owned a basically a jukebox and entertainment company in Oakley. And he was looking for a partner, somebody with a bit of sales and marketing expertise, which I had. So I bought into that business and did that for about three years and then decided I wanted to move on. So um, after owning basically two of my own businesses, I then took up an opportunity to move to Brisbane with a publishing company. And I lived in Brisbane for about four years. I thoroughly enjoyed my time up there with my wife. We didn't have kids at that stage. And me being a keen golfer, it meant that I could basically golf, you know, 12 months of the year and, and was loving life. But then we decided to start a family. So the decision was made that maybe we should move back down to Melbourne, a bit closer to my wife's parents. And we did that. I then worked for ExxonMobil in the oil industry. I was a business development manager for Exxon for about four and a half, five years. And again, learned a lot, but decided I wanted to get back into business and then founded a company called Corporate Coffee, which is a office coffee supplier of coffee machines and coffee. And I did that for 10 years, probably getting a bit stale towards the end of that journey, decided that I wanted to sell 
and was very fortunate that a local company that was backed by a listed international coffee player wanted to buy the business and we exited that in 2015. And that kind of leads me to where I am now, which is Geotech Information Services. I've been with Geotech just over five years and thoroughly enjoy what I'm doing. If I could, I guess, write the perfect script in terms of what I'd really enjoy doing in business, Geotech would certainly fit that bill. Yeah, thanks. That's a really good introduction, and thanks for that information. Interesting, kind of through that, the move back to Melbourne. I know there's been a lot of people moved from Melbourne to Queensland in the last two years for, from a lifestyle perspective, and I know over many years a lot of people moved south to north, but uh, I am hearing of a few moving back over recent times, and I also smiled there as you were saying that because, uh, likewise, I spent a bit of time in, in Brisbane when our kids were little, but I discovered the same thing. You, you know, you're not meant to take the wife or the grandkids too far from the mother-in-law. Would that be a fair statement? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so for, for, for peace of mind. So, so look, thanks again for the introduction. And I guess what we're talking about today is the geotech information services. And this came up in a previous podcast that we did with Todd O'Connor and my pharmacy appraisal. And it, and it really hit a note with me because certainly over my business career, market stats, community stats, geography even to a point plays a large part in business success. So who is Geotech and what are the information services that you provide? Yeah, look, Geotech is, is a consulting business. It was founded in 2004. We work across a number of retail industries, including uh, the pharmaceutical, of course, food, fashion, big box, health and the fuel industry. So essentially when somebody asks me, what is geotech or who is geotech? It's really all about helping them better understand why some locations or stores perform better than others. There's some key considerations or characteristics around those overperforming stores that the company can learn from. So it doesn't matter whether we're working with an emerging business, a mid-sized business or somebody like McDonald's that have over a thousand stores. Uh, the, the fundamental questions I guess they want answered is why do these stores overperform? Why did these others underperform? And how can we get better at predicting sales for the new stores that, that we want to open? So, so I guess that's in a nutshell who we are. And we also use data and science to help answer a number of other questions. What we find in this industry is that a lot of emphasis put on residential demographics. So you, you speak to a company and they'll say, or well, I'll ask the question, well, how, how do you work out where you want to open a new pharmacy or a new store? And inevitably they say, well, we've got all of this data and we really pour over the demographics. And then once we think we found the ideal area with the target market that we're after, we then negotiate the lease and open the store. So. That's sort of partly answering the question. There's a lot of other factors that go into why some stores perform better than others. It's demographics are important. Now, don't get me wrong, but there are other considerations. Things like the, you know, the catchment population size, the site-specific characteristics, the precinct generators, and things like competition. So we help companies better understand why those the stores perform better. And we really help them identify what are the key factors driving sales performance. Thanks for that. And I guess a good lead into the question that was on my mind is that around a pharmacy, there's three general locations for pharmacy. One would be shopping centre, one would be strip shop, and one would be medical centre. And if we park the medical centre one for the moment and just talk about shopping centre versus strip shop, my history or knowledge of this is that shopping centres are customer attractors in their own right. 
Now, there'll obviously have been a lot of research going into the location of a shopping centre when you're talking about multi-million dollar investments there. But the reciprocal side of that is that a lot of pharmacies are are located outside of shopping centres and in strip shops. And there's a really good example I can think of. A pharmacist couple that I know have got a, a pharmacy on the main road leading into a city area. And the reality is that they do very well in the morning because they're on the road into the city and so they get all of the, the work traffic heading in in the morning. The, the reciprocal challenge from that is that of an afternoon they're not so busy because people heading home are on the wrong side of the street and peak hour traffic, it's often hard to get a out of the peak hour traffic but more importantly, if you were to duck off to this pharmacy, get back into the peak hour traffic. So, so it's this kind of information that you can deliver to a potentially a, a retail client, but a, a pharmacy client, isn't it? Well, yeah, you've, you've really raised a very interesting and topical point. Shopping centres, as you pointed out, are destinations in their own right. So with shopping centres, it is about the demographics and the catchment population outside the shopping centre, but it becomes more about the positioning within that shopping centre. And a lot of people, I guess, wouldn't realise sometimes a, a lease or a shop front might become available in a shopping centre and the landlord's doing a fantastic lease arrangement, partly because they probably can't get anybody to fill it. But there's very little consideration in understanding, well, okay, within that shopping centre, where is the optimal location for pharmacy, for example? Conversely, as you pointed out, retail strips are challenging because you don't have that, your catchment population or you don't have that the generator activity. So it's more about the types of people within that store's catchment area. And you also raised an interesting point about the go to work and the go home side for for positioning those stores. So when we're working with a food company that sells coffee, it's critically important for them to be located on those busy roads heading into work, of course, so people can stop and get their coffee. Conversely, if you're a, a dinner brand like a Red Rooster, you want to be on the go-home side of the busy road so that people can stop and, and buy their food on the way home to, you know, to, for, for dinner. So there's two completely different considerations. One is the shopping center that feeds off the local people coming into the center. And of course, the retail strip is a bit different, again, feeding off the catchment area around that strip. Um, if I can also, one of the other things that intrigues me, and again, only because of the, I guess, the amount of time I've spent in either retail or pharmacy and having an interest in this whole information arena, the cons- what I call the concentric rings around the CBD areas. And what I mean by that is that as a city has grown over the last 100 years, get these rings of residential and then commercial and then residential and then commercial. But ultimately what we see happen, and, and, and our listeners today would, would realise and understand this as well, is that the demographics changes because whilst originally it might be young people, young couples living in this one of these concentric rings, as they then mature and then want to start a family, they'll often sell that residential property because it's too small and then move into a family-type area, which is another concentric ring. You know, we've seen certainly Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, and I think Adelaide to a point where old what were old existing industrial areas have now been converted into residential areas with things like warehouses and being turned into flats and apartments. So this whole demographics and understanding your customer that is either there today or your customer that might be there tomorrow is really important because you might have a pharmacy in a little suburban shopping centre that's catering to a specific niche that in the, in the period of 10 years could actually change from a demographics perspective. Yeah, I, again, you've, you've raised an interesting point about the history of the CBDs and the inner urban 
areas of, of the major capital cities. There's a lot of apartments, a lot of small apartments, ideal for somebody that's single or a young couple that just got married or living together. And then, of course, as they move through life and decide they want to start a family, they want those backyards, they want a little bit more open space, they want the parks. So they then move to the outer urban areas. So I think for a lot of brands and pharmaceutical would be no different. They don't want to lose those customers. They want to make sure that they're using the very latest data to underpin those location planning decisions. And that's something that we can certainly help with. The latest government census data is due out in the next sort of month or so. They release it in stages. So I think they're releasing the first stage and then there'll be a mid-year release. And then the final piece of the puzzle won't be released until later this year, early next year. So it's one of the things about census, and we get asked this all the time, is that places like Brighton in Melbourne don't automatically flip on their head from one census to another. It doesn't become a high socioeconomic area and then a low socioeconomic area. So it's important to understand that, but equally, the outer urban areas where there's a lot of new growth, it's important to understand how those areas are growing. And we, we automatically do for a lot of our clients' population projections anyway. So even if there's not a census or current census, we can still project those population growth sort of over the next three to five years. If I use that same example, I'm, I live on the outer area of Melbourne, which is you know, a lot of new housing development, a lot of new areas being opened up that were previously real, you know, rural farmland. And this is a concentric ring around Melbourne and Sydney and to a point around Brisbane, where obviously as part of the urban planning, there's going to be new schools at some point in time, there's going to be new shopping centres at some point in time. And again, if I take the example here in Melbourne in these new developments, you drive down through a, a new estate one day and there's houses being built. You drive down 12 months later, the houses are built and there's a Woolworth supermarket with six or seven shops attached to it, which is obviously part of this whole urban planning and, and the information which goes with it doesn't mean that the businesses are going to be automatically successful day one, but I'm imagining that the people who have invested in those businesses or those developments have done so with a, a lot of really good information behind them. Yeah, I guess, look, we do a lot of work for companies like McDonald's. They do look for new growth areas. They look for big blocks of land that they can purchase, and they'll, they'll buy a block of land in an outer urban area, and they'll sit on it for five years or seven years or 10 years. So they're very good at what they do, obviously. The big supermarkets are largely the same. They buy a big block of land, and then once there's suitable population within that area, they'll open. They're referred to as anchor tenants. And then, of course, once they start to open, you'll start to see those shopping centers being populated by a host of other retail operators that obviously if the supermarkets open that's driving traffic into the center and then they look for those opportunities to open at the same time again if i can another example that i've seen lately particularly around sydney and melbourne as i've been traveling several years ago now bunnings bought out the old hardware house business there was a point in time where they were both you know competing in the same markets but what's intrigued me lately is that when initially bunnings converted the hardware house to a Bunnings store, over the last 10 years, I've seen those Bunnings stores be relocated into new Bunnings sites. So, so there's obviously some information happening around Bunnings that says 
our model is successful because of these KPIs or these parameters, which is, again is this demographics and this, this market research and information that sits behind it because you don't spend a small amount of money building a big box to put a big hardware store into it. And ultimately, this was we'll head this into pharmacy as well, but the example that I think was really interesting here was that clearly... Bunnings have moved or relocated what was the old hardware house into a new site because research tells them that the hardware house is going to be better business if it's located here. And it might only be a half you know, kilometre away, but this ultimately is what this research tells them, isn't it? Yeah, one of the critical considerations to network planning is understanding how destination or impulse-driven your brand is. So if you had Ferrari dealership, for example, there will only be so many people that can afford a Ferrari. So you don't need to be on the major, the highways in those areas, those affluent areas that where, where people would, would likely buy a car of, of that sort of price tag. And Bunnings are no different. Bunnings are substantially a destinational business. And if you open too close, closely to another store, then of course that new store might cannibalize sales off the existing store. So companies like Bunnings or other big box retailers that are quite destinational would put a lot of research into understanding how large the catchment areas around the stores need to be. And of course, how much of an impact opening that new store would have uh, on their existing uh, network as well. So it's not just big box, but other retailers, a pharmaceutical would be no different. You know, what is the net benefit if I open this new pharmacy? What's the benefit that's going to have in terms of sales? But how much is it going to take off the surrounding pharmacies uh, in, in my network? And, and if we take that then back to pharmacy, which is what this podcast is about, and accessing a level of information through a technology platform, the discussion I guess we've been having is that a pharmacy might have been in its current location for 50-odd years and it's been persisted as, you know, this is where we've set up, this is where we've established, this is where we, all our customers know where we are. But the reality is that in that 50 years, the customers have changed, they've moved. And so ultimately the question could be today is, is my pharmacy still in the best location in, in my area. And I guess that should be a good segue then into you know, the work that you're, you're doing in the pharmacy industry with, with a couple of the groups. So who, who are some of the groups that you've done work with that you can tell us about? Yeah, over the journey, we've done work for Priceline. We've done work for uh, Ramsey Healthcare. And it's interesting because as you rightly pointed out, pharmacies you know, have to be 100% certain about the types of people that are coming in to use their services. The prescription will bring a customer in the, in, in the door, but ultimately a pharmacy is like any other business. It has to generate sales, and those sales typically come from ancillary services or the products that they stock. So one of the, the things that we're doing with Todd, for example, at My Pharmacy Appraisal, is we've built a GIS mapping tool to help his customers better understand the potential in an area that they might be looking to acquire a pharmacy. So it's putting a little bit of data behind the decision-making process for them so that they can better understand, well, if I buy this pharmacy, what is the upside in terms of how far can we take this? Is it in the right location? Is it servicing the types of people that live and work around that pharmacy? So that's a relationship that we've had with Todd for about a year now. But outside of that, we're also working with a number of other brands to help them better understand that opportunity as well. Because as, as we know, acquiring a business is like a pharmacy. There are a lot of restrictions around 
you know, how far you can move it and, and, you know, where you can position it. So quite often it's about optimizing the performance of the pharmacy. How can we get better at it? How can we make more money? And that often comes from understanding the types of people that live and work around the pharmacy. So in addition to our normal consulting services, we also provide uh, what we call a product category analysis. So what that would mean is we would undertake an analysis of the types of products the pharmacy would sell, and we would align that with the types of people that live and work around the pharmacy. So they get a better understanding of the types of people and the products that they're likely to buy. And when they're looking at acquiring a pharmacy, then they can use that information to optimize the pharmacy to make sure that the products that they have on the shelves are the products that the customers want to buy. As you've been saying that, Jeff, I think what's hit my mind is that if we look at the difference between an independently um, owned business group like pharmacy versus a corporate retailer or, or any kind of corporate business, whether it's you know, retail or coffee even, a corporate retailer will say, this is my model, and you know, tell me the locations where potentially we could open up our model based on the demographics and the market information. It, with the independent business of pharmacy, the decision on which brand to go with is often made by the person owning the business and to a point the, the deal that might have been on the table to get them to join a particular group. Is it feasible that your research could say to a particular owner that in your market you might be better with a discount model versus a professional services model? Is that is that kind of thing available? Yeah, it is. And, and again, it's critically important because for those listeners perhaps that, that don't know that, you know, the differences in the brands, something like a Priceline that's got a, you know, a heavy retail focus, they do obviously, obviously offer those professional services, but they do a very good job at merchandising their product range, selling a lot of products. They've got a, a fantastic loyalty program. And then conversely, you might have a chemist warehouse that sells a lot of products, probably doesn't have the same level of, of service that a price line has. So it's important for somebody that's either looking to acquire a pharmacy or potentially move a pharmacy in a new location to understand who is it that lives and works around that pharmacy that I'm acquiring or I'm, I'm moving, and therefore what brand out of my stable of four or five different brands that I might have under the one banner which is, is that banner that's more likely to generate or resonate with those, those customers that, uh, that are around that, uh, that pharmacy? Yeah, and I think that's a really good point there for anyone listening today. Is it time to have a, a, a deep dive into your pharmacy? Is the location where you're, you potentially are still the right location or the best location? It might have been previously. It might be again in, in years to come, but based on the, the change to roads or the addition of other businesses into the marketplace, that might have changed. And, and the reciprocal side of that is, from a population point of view, the product range that's sitting inside your pharmacy. And again, there'll be pharmacists listening today that know, even from an age point of view, where the, the script breaks breakdowns are based on, on age and population, you know, young versus old family versus couples, that, that kind of thing. So I think that's been a really good insight into that. Jeff, while you check your notes to see if there's anything else on your list that you wanted to chat about today, I'll obviously include today a link to Pharmacy Appraisal and Todd, who you're obviously doing work with, and, and that was the introduction for ourselves. I'll, in addition to that, include your LinkedIn information and your website information as well, so people can kind of find you through that as well. Was there anything else on your list that we wanted to chat about today, or have we pretty much covered a, a good roundup? I think one of the interesting things is some of the new data sets that we have available and that we use for all of our retail clients, one of which is MasterCard. We've got a partnership with MasterCard we've had for about three and a half, four years. 
will use their merchant activity data to help retailers better understand those retail precincts that are performing more strongly than others. Okay. Um, and it's important to remember the merchant activity data that we have access to is different from the consumer-based credit card data that you might find that are aligned with uh, the, the major banks. So we're able to use that information. We're able to help our clients better understand those retail precincts that are overperforming, that are generating a lot of spending activities from a merchant uh, activity point of view. And then the other big thing that we're doing these days is using mobile device data tracking, which really came, I guess, uh, into the picture during the pandemic when we used to get updates from various media sources about police to look at where people were congregating. So mobile device data has been used now for, for several years, but the way that we're using it for our retail clients is to help them better understand you know, the motivations behind a customer that may have visited their store. So in layman's terms, a simple way to describe how we use it is that we would fence off a pharmacy, for example, could be any pharmacy. We would capture everybody that came into the fenced off area of that pharmacy during a period of time. We would then look at where that customer came from, let's say 30 minutes or an hour before visiting, where they journeyed to 30 minutes to an hour, let's say after they visited, and whether they actually came into the location of our pharmacy, but then also shopped at a competitor's location. So a lot of that information and intelligence we're getting from mobile device data is underpinning a lot of our network sort of analysis now with some of our clients. And it's, it's a fantastic data set that is very workable within the pharmaceutical industry. I think we're only just scratching the surface in terms of what it can do. But certainly that's, uh, that's been a game changer for us in the data analytics space. Yeah, and Jeff, thanks very much. That's been great for you to share that with us today. Thanks again for your time. I've really enjoyed chatting today. I hope that our listeners have enjoyed the information that's coming away because this is almost game changer in a pharmacy. And the question should be around, is my pharmacy still located in the best spot in town or is there an alternative? Is the product range that my pharmacy is range, uh, supplying actually applicable to the age demographics and the market demographics of my area? And even more importantly, is the brand name or the name over my door actually matching or resonating with, with my marketplace as well? And I think they're three really good questions that people could ask themselves from this and then get in contact with either yourself or, or Todd accordingly. Thanks again for your time today. Really enjoyed the chat and I look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Scott. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you for listening today. Pharmacy View is a technology-focused podcast provided by Melbourne-based business Arian Technologies and Shopfront Solutions. Over the podcast series, our guests include pharmacists, retail managers, wholesalers, suppliers, and industry technology partners. If you would like further information on our podcast series or to participate in one of our episodes, feel free to send me a message or touch base through the Pharmacy View website, pharmacyview.com.au.